Well, good morning on this uh, fifth Sunday of Lent, the last Sunday before Palm Sunday. It's hard to believe right now that, number one, this is our third worship service in the sanctuary without you all here, which is hard to believe. But secondly, it's hard to believe that Holy Week is merely a week away. Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then Easter. As we prepare for that significant event in our tradition, today's lectionary reading, again, we talk about the lectionary a lot here, that we follow this three-year cycle of readings, and we live into the profundity of knowing that all across the world, in the midst of this worldwide pandemic, all across the world, Christians are reading this passage right now, today. This is a 45-verse passage, and so, I'm not going to read all 45 verses. I am going to challenge you during the sermon, so you might want to take a minute now to find your Bible, get it up online. Um, You can look at your phone and find John chapter 11, verses 1 through 45, the New Revised Standard Version. And I will read just a few verses to you so that um, I set the stage, really, that I name the characters and set the stage for this very important story in the life of our faith. And the gospel writer John wrote this. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. So you already see three characters, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, who are siblings. And then the text goes on, and at verse 17 it said, When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. And then at verse 25, after some questioning from Martha, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. And the text goes on, and Mary was weeping at the loss of her brother. And in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, Jesus was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. In verse 35, Jesus began to weep. And then in 38, Jesus, again, greatly disturbed. That word is used twice here. He's again greatly disturbed. He came to Lazarus' tomb. And Jesus says in 39, take away the stone. And by the end of the text in verse 43, when he had said this, he also cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to the community, unbind him and let him go. Here ends the reading. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Now, good morning, everyone online. I hope you have your coffee lined up, your Bible lined up, that you're all settled in, that your pets are there, that they're listening to our voices as we begin the sermon today called Unbind Them. And I want to start the sermon with a wonderful story about a little girl. Um, This is a um, 
you'll hear, you'll recognize the people in this story after I tell it. But there's a wonderful story about a little girl who was given a helium-filled balloon at church of all places. And the little girl loved the balloon. It was bright red. It was her favorite color. She loved that the balloon was alive as it danced and floated in the air high at the end of that string. And she loved running around the church, kind of pulling it along beside her. You could hear the little girl's giggles throughout the church until the inevitable happened. The balloon bumped into a sharp edge and... It popped with a deafening and instantaneous boom. Have you ever heard a helium balloon explode? It's loud. The balloon burst in an instant and its deflated pieces fell to the floor. And the little girl looked down and saw what was left of her little red balloon, little deflated pieces of red on the floor. Yet it only took the little girl a moment to regain her happy mood as she picked up the pieces of the burst balloon and she marched cheerfully to where her father was standing in the church sanctuary. She handed the bits of balloon up to her father and said, here, daddy, fix it. You get that joke? She gave the pieces of balloon to her father and said, here, daddy, fix it. She had no idea that you couldn't just put a balloon right back together. And sometimes we approach God in that way, don't we? We look at God and we say, here God, you fix it. We'll stand back, we will watch in wonderment, but you fix it. Yet there is more to understand about God's work in the world than just asking God to fix it. And that is a big part of today's gospel story that often gets overlooked. So today I invite you to listen carefully to see what more God has to reveal to you about your role in fixing what might be broken in our world right now. The great news is many of you are already working to fix what's broken after we've cleared our sanctuary and sent you all to church homeschool for a while. Will you take a minute now and take a photo of yourself, provided you're presentable? Take a photo of yourself and your family or your pet watching today's sermon online. Will you take a photo of that and share it with us? You can put it online now. You can send it to the church office. Put it on social media. Let us see that you are engaged and and watching with us and communicating with us, even though we are separate and apart right now but it might inspire others as you send us some love online as we dig into the scripture for the fifth Sunday in Lent, which is, as I mentioned, the last Sunday before Holy Week. It's hard to believe. Well, today's gospel reading is one of the longest gospel readings in the lectionary, and I only read portions of it before. So I want to share other portions of the text with you today, Um, throughout the sermon so that the story might come alive for you as it did for the early Christians who heard this story told over and over and over again for thousands of years. So I put this online, but but if you haven't seen this yet, I'm going to ask you to locate the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 1 through 53 in your own Bible or on your phone or on the computer. I put a little tip online about how you can find that. You can just Google it and it'll pop up. But please do find the New Revised Standard Version. And before you panic, it's okay 
we're mainline Protestants. So I know most of y'all don't have your Bible out right now. That's all right. That's part of our culture, right? So we're going to do something a little different. Pull out your Bible. Pull up your phone or your computer. Find this text. Take a breath. Take a moment. And let's see what this text has to reveal for us today. The heart of this text is the saying of Jesus in verse 25. Can you let me know online that you have found verse 25? John chapter 11, verse 25. And that is really the heart of this text where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And if you don't have your Bibles out, if you're struggling with this right now, don't worry. I will read the scripture as we're going through this message. But it's a way for us to engage together. Let us know what you see in that text as we walk through it. But one of our God-fearing church mothers, this was a while ago, tried to teach her young son Bobby about this important story in the Bible. But she was using the King James Version. How many of you have grew up with or memorized or know the King James Version of the Bible, right? A lot of hands up in the sanctuary right now with our skeleton crew. But as I mentioned, the story starts with three characters, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're siblings. This is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. These are three siblings. Mary was the sister who loved to listen to Jesus, the one who anointed Jesus with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. Martha was the sister who loved to serve others. Lazarus was their brother who was ill. And in this scripture lesson, Lazarus died and then Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But remember, a God-fearing church mother is trying to teach her son this story from the King James Version, little Bobby, and he got confused when his mother tried to teach him. And Bobby asked, Mom, why did they only talk about Lazarus and not about the other people that Jesus raised from the dead along with Lazarus? And little Bobby's mother replied, well, Oh dear, where did you learn that there were other people who were raised from the dead with Lazarus? It was only Lazarus who was raised from the dead. And little Bobby said, but mom, every time they tell that story, they say there were at least four people. And his mother said, Bobby, why would you say that? And little Bobby replied, because Jesus commanded Lazarus come forth. You get that? You have to be in the King James Version to get that, right? He said, Lazarus, come forth. And little Bobby thought it was like lining up at school, that there were other people. That's why reading the version of the Bible that is the most uh, correct in terms of what scholars think the words were, that's why it matters. Because you'll find right now that two words, one word can make a big difference. The scripture text that we're reading today is from the more modern New Revised Standard Version. And instead of commanding Lazarus to come forth from his burial cave, Jesus cried out with a loud voice in this text, Lazarus, come out. Can you see how that minor change in translation makes a huge difference? It's a lot different when you say come forth versus come out. Well, 
I do hope that you'll let us know online. You might be thoroughly confused, let us know that, but hopefully you have gotten a little piece of what we do. Hank, our seminarian, is here today. We have people in seminary learning how to grapple with all this, but a few words in translation can make all the difference. I'm also going to do a little bit more teaching with you um, about this particular text because we are in Lent. And the Gospel of John is written in a different style than our other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The first three Gospels, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, are made up primarily of short vignettes in the ministry of Jesus. The Gospel of John, on the other hand, is comprised of short vignettes along with extended theological reflections on that vignette. And that is why the readings and the Gospel of John are so long. At the beginning of today's gospel lesson, in verses 3 through 5, when Jesus first receives the news that Lazarus is ill, Jesus says, This illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then I'm going to read you a little bit more to set the stage and add some more characters in verses 47 through 53. Three, so we're kind of extending into the pericope, another seminary word about this story. And it reads, the chief priests and Pharisees, hopefully you can find this in your text, starting at verse 47, the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the council and said, what are we to do? This man, meaning Jesus, is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. You do not understand that it is better for you to have one man die for the people than to have the whole nation destroyed. Caiaphas did not say this on his own, it says in the scripture, but being a high priest, he prophesied that Jesus was about to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but to gather into one the dispersed children of God. So from that day on, the chief priests and the Pharisees planned to put Jesus to death. It's right there in the scripture. Now, I'm going to do a little more teaching here, so bear with me, because the way that we see how this applies to us today is by making sure that we're reading the text and digging into it, not just superimposing our own opinions um, and our own stuff onto the text, but instead reading the text to see what it has to reveal to us and how it might inform us. So a little more teaching, because in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the impetus, the motivation for the conspiracy to kill Jesus, which we'll get to next week, is the cleansing of the temple. Do you remember we talked about that a week or two ago, uh, cleaning out the money changers, turning over the tables, radical house cleaning, our rebel with the cause, Jesus. And this is something that Jesus does after he arrives in Jerusalem for the final days of his life. But in contrast, here in the Gospel of John, the cleansing of the temple happens at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right after he turns water into wine and provides a lot of wine for a wedding. So in the Gospel of John, it is today's event, it is the resurrection of Lazarus, that is the impetus, the motivation for the conspiracy to kill Jesus. So did you know that? 
let me know if you, I, I know we have retired clergy, we have seminarians, we have people watching us online. Let us know if you knew that. Or if you didn't know that, let us know because a lot of folks don't know that. But Jesus does know this. He knows that the resurrection of Lazarus will start a chain of eschatological events to further reveal the glory of God, and that is why he weeps. How many of you remember in the King James Version those old Bible quizzes, right, about the shortest verse in the Bible? Raise your hand metaphorically online if you know the shortest version in the Bible from the King James Version. What was it? All right. Those gathered are saying Jesus wept. And in our NRSV version, it says Jesus began to weep. So, a little more teaching. Bear with me and we'll get to where we need to go with this text for today. But in the Gospel of John, we see the glory of God revealed in the miracle of changing water into wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. We see what we learned just a week ago. Do you remember the two key points of that mud miracle from last week? I will. It's, this is kind of a pop quiz, but it's not. I'll give you the answers. Number one, there were two key points in that miracle. Number one, with God's help, there's nothing we can't handle. That was point number one. With God's help, there's nothing we can't handle. And number two, the key theological question in the midst of this pandemic and everything that's going on is not why. It's not why me or why us. Why this pandemic? Why this hardship? That is not the question. The key theological question is, who will we be now? Who will we be now, St. John's? That was our lesson from last week. And in today's gospel story, we again see the glory of God in the raising of Lazarus. And in a week or so to come, we'll see it again when Jesus is lifted high on that cross. And I think of what Phil sang today, you know, There Ain't No Grave, one of my favorite songs, an old Johnny Cash song, Ain't No Grave. So what does the resurrection of Jesus mean for us today? Because I'm going to hop ahead a little bit and start leading you into what we're going to be talking about next week. What does the resurrection of Jesus mean for us today? It means, first of all, that we need not fear death. How much of what we're doing right now is because everyone is so afraid. Jesus is teaching us that death does not have the last word. But that's not the only thing Jesus is teaching us. Jesus is teaching us that we have hope not only beyond this life, but we have hope in this life. If we live our lives always afraid of death, we will forget to live the life that we've been given. Now, there are lots of reasons to question the meaning of the resurrection today because this whole chain of events starts with the raising of Lazarus. We're right in the middle of a novel, and we haven't gotten to the next chapter yet. But there are lots of reasons to question the meaning of the resurrection today. We have all sorts of tragedies in our world that don't make sense. And top of the list right now is what? What's at the top of everybody's tragic list right now? Right? It's the pandemic. 
right? It is the pandemic. The pandemic that has you all bound up in your homes, on your computers watching today's service, rather than holding hands and singing together in the sanctuary and giving each other hugs. This pandemic has our church all bound up. Or perhaps the pandemic has you all bound up in your head as you deal with the fear and the uncertainty of this worldwide plague, the anxiety, the depression, the fear, all the things that y'all are letting me know that you are, that, that are binding you up right now. And on top of this, we each have our own pers- personal tragedies that make us question our faith relationship struggles, work troubles. Many of you are losing your jobs or have had your pay cut and you're worried about what is next. Some of you are facing serious health issues, so you are afraid about what this pandemic might mean for your care. Some of you are healthcare providers and you are so worried about what's on the horizon. There is so much that is making us question our faith right now, including grief, grief from death and loss all of which have become magnified by this pandemic and its extraordinary death toll. So with all of this loss, all of this death reflected in today's gospel and in our world, with all of these tragedies and problems, are there really any signs of resurrection? And I will say yes, and Jesus gave us a clue in today's text to foreshadow what is to come. The signs of resurrection are not in the grave. It's not in the dead bodies that suddenly reappear. The signs of resurrection in this text are in Jesus' words, unbind him and let him go. It's in the people who follow Jesus' command. Verse 17 of this gospel, I'm going to take you right back into the text, reminds us that when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Then if you jump ahead to verses 35 through 44, it says Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, and I hope you're reading along with me, Some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man last week have kept this man, Lazarus, from dying? Then Jesus, it says in the text, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, Already there is a stench because Lazarus has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here, so that they may believe that you have sent me. When Jesus had said this, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. It goes on in the text to say that the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, the community, unbind him, and let him go. In this resurrection miracle, 
we see Jesus do two significant things. One that is always, or I should say, easily remembered, and the second is easily overlooked. First, as I mentioned, Jesus ordered Lazarus to come out. This is the act the church has recalled for 2,000 years. This is the wonderful sign of power that inspired so many in the crowd that day to believe in Jesus. This singular act solidified Jesus' opponents and their determination that Jesus was dangerous and had to be killed, leading ultimately to Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. Because think about it. Jesus told Lazarus to come out to come out of the cave, to come out of the darkness, to come out of the closet, to come out into the light and into the love of God's glory. And for that, Jesus was condemned to death. Which leads me to the second and equally important thing that Jesus commanded. Do you know what it is now? Jesus directed the community to unbind him and let him go. If you remember anything from this long gospel reading today and from a teaching sermon today, remember this, unbind him and let him go. You see, if you think about this text for a minute, Lazarus obeyed Jesus and came out of the dark cave alive again, but he was still bound by the burial strips of cloth, the cloth that signified his death. Lazarus is alive, but he is not yet free. He is not free until his community follows Jesus' instructions to unbind him and let him go. So you may come out of your darkness. You may come out of your closet. You may be born again and yearning to live a resurrection life, but you may still be tangled in those burial clothes of death, and you cannot get them off yourself. You are still bound up in something. And we all know what that is like today, right? If we think about this metaphorically. When we are living a new life, yet somehow we seem to still be in bondage to the old life, we're bound up. And this is where we need community. This is where we need our faith community. Because it is our task, it is one of our primary tasks of the church. It is our task to complete the resurrection. So think about that. Jesus ordered Lazarus to come out, but it is our task as a community to complete Lazarus' resurrection. This story doesn't just reveal God's power to renew, not just about God's power. It reveals our power, our purpose, and our ability to participate in the unbinding of our brothers and sisters, whether we're in the middle of a pandemic or not. So unbind somebody. Those should be our orders today and every day, to unbind somebody, because Jesus commanded us to participate in the resurrection of each other. Now, this past week, I theologically wrestled with how this pandemic has gotten us all bound up in panic and politics and how we must free ourselves from the powerlessness that we have defaulted to 
so that we can fulfill the purpose to which we've been called as Christians in such a time as this. Think about it. We are bound up in anger right now when we are called to be affirming. We are bound up in scarcity when we are called to share. We are bound up with impotence when we are called to inspire. We are bound up with impatience when we are called to imagine. We are bound up with fear when we are called to be faithful. We are bound up in helplessness when we are called to share hopefulness. We are bound up in politics when we are called to live our purpose in this pandemic because we are a purposed people. Pandemic or not, we have a purpose in this life as Christians to complete the resurrection. When we find someone in bondage to anything, when we find someone struggling to be free, Jesus commanded us to unbind them and let them go. So today, I have an updated call for you as people of St. John's. I have something to think about. I call you today to live as a purposed people in this pandemic. And I'm working on my alliteration. But I am calling you to be a purposed people in this pandemic so that you remember this. Think of the ways that you can make a difference. Here are just some ideas for purposed people projects. And don't wait for me to ask you. Don't wait for us to have a committee meeting. Don't wait for us to have some fully worked out program for this. We don't have time. We're swamped right now and we need your help to unbind people and our community in the face of this pandemic. Here are just some quick ideas for purposed people projects. And think about it. Put your ideas online. Let us know. Number one, send cards and care packages to our health care providers, our essential workers, and to our homebound. Email Marla or Mary for the names and addresses of the people that may need to hear from you, that we need to reach. And we do have to ask people permission to share their addresses, but email Mary and Marla. Marla T. at St. John's Church, Columbus.org, or Mary at St. John's Church, Columbus.org. If you need a list of people who need cards and care packages right now, Send an email and we'll get something to you. Secondly, you can send cards and notes to our church members who are grieving losses right now. Number three, you can offer to help as you are able with the largest table, which is now a to-go meal program for the homeless, or you can offer to pick up groceries for folks who are worried right now about going to the store. How many of you know people who are over 60 right now or who have compromised health systems and they're really, really worried about going to the store right now? You can pick up some groceries for them, call them on your way to the store, see how you can help. You can also offer to help with our Care Callers program, which will be a little bit more organized as we try as a community to make sure that no one is left out of this um, opportunity to reach each other. But know that we can't do it alone. We need each of you to be purposed people in this pandemic. I saw this last night online. Thank you, Sandy. Kiss out to Sandy, who's really struggling with having lost her husband because our last service here was that flannel flood. Can I get an amen and a round of applause from the people in this sanctuary about how important that worship service was, that flannel flood, and how much we appreciate what we were able to do. But I want to thank Sandy 
because I saw last night for the first time and I thought, what a creative idea. I hadn't even thought about that, about distanced tailgating. Now, we have to be consistent with our stay-at-home order, but there were some moms who got creative because they were growing crazy. They needed each other's support and encouragement. They needed to see each other and talk with each other, but from a distance. They couldn't hug each other or touch each other. So if you saw the, the, um, the, the photo online, what they did in, in, you know, just neighbors, friends, family, small groups, again, comply with the stay-at-home order. But what they did was they opened up the hatchback trunks of their car, and they stayed in their cars, and they supported each other. Again, I don't have all the ideas about how we can do all of this, but I know that if each of you is thinking about how we reach people and offer them support and encouragement, we can be purposed people in this pandemic. And most importantly, remember to give to St. John's so that we can continue to offer these resources at stjohnschurchcolumbus.org backslash donate or on the donate buttons on Facebook or on the website. It will take all of us working together, unbinding each other and our community. It will take all of us to not just survive, but to thrive in the midst of this pandemic. As we promise our world that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, then as now. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, too often we ask you to fix it. We ask you, ask you to fix the problems in life for us as we stand on the sidelines and wait for results. Help us to remember that we too have a role in the resurrection of ourselves and the resurrection of each other. As you call us to unbind ourselves into each other from that which entangles us in life, just as Jesus demonstrated for us. Guide us, God, to follow in Jesus' footsteps as we seek to shine fresh light into a world grown weary of darkness. God, help us to remember that our salvation is not found in the panic during this pandemic, but instead in the purpose for which you have called us as people. In Jesus' name, amen.